Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Olive Magazine podcast. My name is Laura Rowe, I'm the editor of the magazine and I'll be your host for today. First up, we're talking Sarnies with Jill and Janine from our May issue. We are looking at everything from egg in the whole sourdough with avocado and chilli jam to New York's favourite at the moment, a patty melt, which is a delicious, meaty, cheesy hybrid which you have to try. We're also looking at spiralising this week with Anna, our cookery writer. She's giving you her top tips on all things spiralised from courgette to carrot to cucumber. Uh, We're talking about which type of spiralizer to buy, which vegetables to use and some recipe ideas as well. And I've just got back from Bristol Food Connections, a brilliant food festival across the city of Bristol on until the 7th of May. We've been talking to some of the city's best street food traders and speaking to Alex and Sarah about why street food is a great thing to try this summer. Okay, so now we're going to talk to Janine and Jill about our sandwich feature that we've got in our May issue. Um, We recently did some research with some of our panel at um, our publishing house uh, about sandwiches because it's British Sandwich Week this week coming up, isn't it, Janine? It is. um, And we decided um, to ask readers various questions about their sandwich habits. Um, We asked them how many they made a week, where they bought them from, what kind of fillings they had, what sort of condiments they liked, and some some surprising stuff, some quite shocking stuff, (laughs) and some quite, I mean, for example, I think we found out that the... um, the most popular sandwich remains the cheese and pickle. It so is a classic, isn't it's it? It's a classic, though. I, I don't I don't condemn that at all. I think that's a perfectly reasonable choice. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, running alongside it was the bacon sandwich, which, of course, mm. everybody loves. Well, yeah, I mean, there's 
nothing better than two pieces of bread, a bit of pork and some butter. Yeah, like, yeah white squidgy mm, bread in yeah, my... And my yeah. All the photographers know me on shoots whenever I come in. They will say, Jill, where's your cheese and pickle sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have specifics of what you like there? Is there a certain cheese and a certain pickle or easy no, going? not really. I'm just as long as it's cheese and pickle, I'm quite yeah. happy. <laughs> <laughs> so sandwiches have been something that we've loved as a nation for years the first sandwich we invented was the earl of sandwich right and it was the ultimate handheld snack he was a gambler and he used to uh, he asked his chef to make something that he could do whilst playing cards yeah and i think that's really important when you're when you're building a sandwich um that you should be able to pick it up and eat it i mean not necessarily have to eat a sandwich with a knife and fork then maybe it moves out of sandwich territory yeah though i think one of our one of our sandwiches in the sandwich feature slightly moves into that territory which is our iconic sandwich on the cover the egg in the hole yeah and you can pick it up and eat it but you might need to get a knife and fork at some point so I think that's fine I think a lot of uh, sandwiches we've we've chosen for this feature specifically are kind of that next level sandwich aren't they they're not your sort of sandwich loaf and a couple of fillings they are like you're going to spend time cooking them you're going to spend time eating them and the egg in the hole is like a perfect brunch thing to kind of up your avocado on toast game, right? Yeah, and we we basically went to um, we we looked a lot to America because they are they really pile them high, um, <laughs> and we we picked a few kind of iconic sandwiches that have brilliant stories. Um, and um, I was in New York last year, and they're sort of they're getting over burgers, and they've, they're now really into like a, a thing called the patty melt has become the new burger, and what it is is a mashup of a um, grilled cheese sandwich and a burger squidged together with loads of sort of um, melting caramelised onions. So it is literally oh, like the ultimate. Goodness. And you can pick that up and eat it and you have it with lots of gherkins and mustard and um, our recipe for it is, is fantastic. Yeah. And it is really OTT. It's basically a once a month sandwich, I think. <laughs> yes, definitely. It's yeah. all the meat, all the cheese. You're going to get your hands dirty when you pick it up. But yeah. It's so, so worth yeah. it. Yeah, and the other... Um, Another iconic one that we did was um, one that was inspired by Elvis, and it's called The Fool's Gold. And Elvis actually invented this sandwich, and he used to charter planes to go and eat it. And um, it's, quite <laughs> a, special. You know, it's quite a simple recipe because you just take whole jars of things. So you take a nice, big, crusty, huge loaf. You fill it with um, a whole jar of peanut butter, a whole jar of blueberry jam, and a pound of crispy bacon. <laughs> I mean, and, yeah, it sounds pretty good. And the legend has it that Elvis used to eat one all to himself. So who knows? What a lad. I'd like yeah. to think so. Yeah, <laughs> really, really impressive. Um, but you had, um, when you are on the sheet, it was really important to get the right type of bread as yeah. for the right sandwiches, <clears throat> right? Because it's all part of that architecture of holding it perfectly and making sure the bread suits the filling. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at our pictures... Um, in the magazine, we sort of, each sandwich has got its very, very particular bread, like the Louisiana Po' Boy's got mm. this really lovely split kind of French bread, um, and the, the patty melts got rye bread. So um, when we arrived on the shoot, um, the whole, ma- yeah. There was just loads of bread I've never seen. It was like two <laughs> tables full of just yeah. bread. Carp heaven. And yeah. we went through chucking some out and getting yeah. all the good bread together and then deciding what was what was the best, best for the shoot. So, I mean, yeah. that's, that's the level of detail we need to go into on shoots basically. yeah 100% so we kind of travelled the world for these um, sandwiches that we yeah. chose as well we tried to get one from sort of different areas yeah. and what was the most in, what, one of one of your favourites was the um, katsu sando right yeah um, I 
again, I, I went, I was lucky enough to go to Tokyo a couple of years ago and I was really surprised by how much of, um, how Japanese culture mashes up quite a lot with, with, um, with Western culture. Okay. And one thing they're really into is white sandwich bread. Um, so what they did is they took, um, a classic Japanese dish, which is tonokatsu, which is a breaded pork fillet, and it's served with a very kind of dark barbecue sauce. Mm. And they basically squidged it between two slices of white toasted bread, and it's fantastic. Mm. Everything so tastes good on better them. between yeah. bread, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Add some carbs in, and you're yeah. onto a winner. So it's nice that each each of the sandwiches got its own little story and its yeah. own little history, and I think that, you know, the best sandwiches... They do that. You know, someone invented the cheese and pickle sandwich. <laughs> they must be very chuffed with themselves right now as well. But some of the respondents to our survey had some pretty weird suggestions. Yeah, right? we. I'm hoping these people, well, maybe, you know, maybe our readers are, are we can say they're really, really inventive. Um, we <laughs> had, yeah, we had um, the banana and Branston pickle, which I guess is just a twist on the cheese and pickle. Yeah. Um, one of the weirdest ones, and I think this might have been, uh, I've just got home from the pub and I'm inventing this <laughs> on the hoof, was um, pickled egg, beef and onion crisps, and salad cream. So, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah good. Um, you won't be seeing that in Olive any time Not soon. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's a bit too trendsetting. A bit too us. out there, yeah. Yeah. The favourite condiment, though, was mayonnaise, which I am proper chuffed with because I think mayonnaise improves oh, everything. I'm, I'm, no, yeah. I don't really think... I'm not sure that mayonnaise is a condiment. We have like a panic button in our fridge at home. If there's not, you know, like the smidge of mayonnaise yeah. in the jar, we have to send out an alert for us to go get some more. I would have gone like piccalilli, chilli sauce, mustard, anything that's just going to give you that extra yeah. zing. Yeah, Whereas I'm not saying we're limited to just okay, mayonnaise. Okay, okay, <laughs> It's, you know, an extra layer of fat I can add on to Yeah, something. true, true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you that then. Okay, good. <laughs> um, and there were some crimes as well that they talked about in this survey that we did. Um, yeah, I think, I think we're all behind these um basically stale crusty bread that's gone a bit gone soggy. a bit off soggy yeah. bread soggy yeah. bread that is my proper bugbear that's why i don't often i mean lots of um our respondents sort of said that they go out and buy a sandwich um like once a week yeah and i think i read a statistic as well it was like 3.5 billion of us buy sandwiches a year so it's a big trade yeah but often when you get these like pre-bought sandwiches that have been in a fridge in the supermarket and they're freezing and they're, yeah, yeah and that they go soggy from the tomato or yeah. from the butter or whatever and that's just it's, that it's, grosses it's, me out eating cold sandwiches is yeah just wrong i'd i'd buy i would buy it and then i would let it warm up for an hour yeah, yeah so <laughs> top tip from the food just put it on your desk yeah buy it in the morning but it is bring it up it's, to it's temperature like that, important though aren't yeah. they because you know if you're having even if you make the sandwich yourself yeah. if you're using fridge cold tomatoes yeah. they're never going to taste as good no. as if you let them come it's to better i mean even if you do like the, the nicest thing to do with the tomato to to get it to um be really flavorful quickly is slice it really really thinly and then just sprinkle salt over but like mm. spread it out on a plate and if you leave it for half an hour it kind of brings out all the tomatoey flavor mm. yeah and then you won't get that horrible kind of slimy fridge cold so, all know. the top tips all thank top you tips. very much okay so for more of these top tips yep. and to find the recipes for these sandwiches yep. you can either get our May issue which is out now or you can go online at yep. olivemagazine.com for these sarnies and plenty more inspiration right. too yep. alright thanks guys thank thanks. you Okay, next up, we are talking all things spiralised with Anna, who's our cookery writer, and Sarah, our drinks writer. Um, it's one of these massive trends that just doesn't seem to be going away, right, Anna? Like, if exactly. I go into my supermarket now, I don't even need to buy a spiralizer. You get them prepackaged, ready to go, whether that be, like, butter, nut, squash noodles yeah. or courgette. Or why do we think that 
everybody's fallen in love with this kind of spiralised vegetables so much. I think when it came to the market, everyone thought it would be a health fad. Yeah. But actually, it's quite fun. It's yeah. ingenious. And, you know, it's it's a great thing. And you can it's so versatile as well. You can put it with anything. So um, when it first came onto the market, um, it was about 10 years ago. The first time I oh, personally really? saw it. Oh, really? Is that long ago? Yeah. yeah. The first time I saw it, it was in a Yo Sushi. Oh, wow. And they were using the handheld, the crank yeah, spiraliser yeah. to... Really like 70s looking. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, they were doing that with the muli for the sashimi on the plate. Oh, and so funny. I saw them doing it. I thought, this is mental. Yeah. I really, really <laughs> want to know what this is. Yeah. Couldn't find one anywhere. I think after a bit of research, I found one for about 50 quid on, on eBay. So I just thought, you know, I'll I'll try and try other things. But then um, because of the new wave of healthy, healthy eating with the Helmsley sisters and Delicious yeah. Elliot, they've sort of gradually, you know, they got onto the market. And I was really pleased. So... Um, yeah, there are loads of different types of spiralizer themselves. We've got um, the freestanding spiralizer, which is the one that you sort of crank. Yeah, um, they're really quick. Actually, you can you can do a lot. So if you're feeding, a, you know, a whole family or a group yeah. of friends, they tend to be better for sort of the harder vegetables. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, they they're good for courgettes and things. And um, the the only thing that I would say is they're quite bulky. Yeah. So you can't really just put them in your drawer. You know, they're quite they sort of yeah. they're on your work surface. And take a lot of washing up as well. Exactly. <laughs> I remember um it must have been maybe about five or six years ago when I first saw one, which was Anthony Clay. She was pulling out all of her like weird gadgets at this talk I saw her um doing in the Cotswolds and she sort of was showing us and they are so big, but you yeah. can get them for still relatively cheap now, the big spiralizers, yeah. can't you? Yeah, then they're about uh, thirty pounds, I think, or twenty yeah. pounds. But the one that, so there are a few different types, but the one that I actually prefer is the pencil sharpener one. Me too, yeah. So it's a handheld one, and it's basically you can put uh, any vegetables in either end to so this sort of like a linguine setting okay. and a spaghetti setting. So, <laughs> very posh, very, very middle class of us, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I really like those because they're also easier to wash up. Yeah, I think that's the main thing, isn't it? If you're going to that trouble, you don't want to be yeah. spending, like, half an hour yeah. fiddling with all the, getting all the vegetable out of little bits. And I think, like, if you've got kids as well, it makes it a bit fun. Like, they can get involved, they can yeah. help prep it. And yeah, and it's it's really safe to do as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. It's a lot safer. Unlike a mandolin or something. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and they're also cheaper, which is which is great. Yeah, I think you can get them for about £5, the pencil sharpener ones, can't you? Yes, the one, the actually the one that I've got is, is you can just get it, it's really widely available. Yeah. I think I got it, got it from Amazon, it was about tenner. Yeah. Um, I think Lakeland do um, a really good one as well, and Davina McCall's just got a, yeah. a new one out as well. Yeah. The um, one that I really like is the Geffrey one, because it's, okay. uh, there's a lot of metal, and it does, it, you know, the plastic ones feel quite cheap, whereas yeah. this one, you know, you can, you can go... Uh, spiralize every day of the week exactly yeah <laughs> and you can use you can put carrots in it and everything like that so, okay fantastic yeah. there's just so many options now like I definitely thought it was going to be a bit of a fad when yeah. I first saw it and it's just like you say it's just growing and growing and there's yeah, yeah it's kind of trial and error well that's the thing so what vegetable? I think we've all heard of courgette now and that's definitely one of the most popular searches on our website but what other vegetables can you use when you spiralize so I think it, it's great that people started using courgette as yeah. spaghetti but there are so many different things you can do so um, we've started doing it with mouli as well so like the you know on the plates with the sashimi and yosushi you can yeah. 
we've um, been making pickle with it as well. So doing it with right. rice wine, vinegar and sugar. And okay. then pickling the uh, the mouli, which is really nice with miso aubergines um, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I really like those. Uh, we've also seen a trend for sweet potato being uh, spiralised as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's really great with um, bolognese and things like that. So it's a bit more substantial because yeah. if you cook courgette noodles, they can be a bit watery, yeah, whereas yeah. sweet potatoes are great for, you know, like a really robust meal. So is there a sort of big variety in the amount of time that you cook, say, courgette noodles versus sweet potato or butternut squash? noodles yeah yeah um i'd say courgette i actually prefer it raw i i have mine raw to be honest because even a lot of the time when you put a dressing on that kind of semi wilts it anyway exactly. doesn't it yeah. yeah we've got a great recipe actually in the june issue which okay. is for the thai courgette courgette mm. soup now readers i have subbed this in uh, our pages that are ready to go to press soon and it it looks absolutely amazing and it went down a storm on the photo shoot right yeah and it's under 500 calories as yeah. well so yeah. it's it's super healthy if you're having like a, you're on the 5-2 diet and doing a, a fast day or if you just want to sort of watch the calories of an evening but yeah. still pack in loads of flavor and get exactly. all your vegetables i remember trying it in the test kitchen and i just went in to like have a little taste and ended up taking the whole bowl <laughs> yeah. it's just so good yeah like so much flavor and and the, the great thing about spiralized vegetables as well you've got so much texture as well i think that's yeah. the brilliant thing about it isn't it it's not Variety. just so one-dimensional yeah yeah so with this one, it was really it was quite good actually in the soup because you don't really cook them in the soup because okay. I was thinking then they'd release their water and they'd be a bit soggy. So we just did the, we just put the raw courgette into the warmed bowls and then poured the soup over. So you've still got a load of crunch in there and a load of texture. Brilliant. Um, you can also do it with cucumber as well and serve that raw in salads, which is That's nice if you've yeah. got a side salad and you just want to make it look a bit prettier. So do you scoop the seeds out before you do you that? You don't have do to. Okay. No, you can just do it or you can um, you, you can uh, peel it as well if you want to or, you know, it's, it's good for salads. Yeah, and also carrots as well. You can do like a raw carrot salad with yeah. cumin seeds and like a lemon dressing. You can also use beetroot as well. Okay. Um, I've seen I've seen a lot of recipes where you, but it's to be honest, it's quite tricky to do it in the in the pencil shop. Yeah. one, yeah. And also, presumably, you'd have to be quite careful of the splatter of the raw yes. beetroot as well. But it's probably worth it when you when you do it. It's yeah. going to look really good in any dishes that you make, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the only the only downside to obviously spiralizing is that it is low carb which is great if you want to you know if you want to keep an eye on carbs but you do feel a little bit hungry maybe <laughs> yeah. about two hours Might need later a biscuit afterwards. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um i'd say you know pack in the protein and yeah. get some chicken in there or something you know so so you don't feel it's all about balance isn't it exactly yeah. or yeah. you can what i do sometimes is we've got a recipe online for courgette mascarpone and lemon pasta and it uses half courgette and half pasta that's so a great idea lower yeah. carb but yeah. you still feel like yeah. you're having a proper substantial meal. Fantastic. Thank you guys so much. That was no super, super interesting. And I know I'm going to be heading to olivemagazine.com to find out some more courgette recipes as we speak. Fantastic. So here I am with Sarah, our drinks writer again, and we've got Alex, our editorial assistant and digital writer. Um, they're going to be talking to me about what I did this bank holiday weekend. Now, this isn't some self-indulgent nonsense. I've been to Bristol Food Connections back in the West Country, where I'm from originally. Um, it's a really fantastic food festival. Have either of you guys been? No, not unfortunately. No, no. so it's, it's a couple of years old now. And um, their sort of tagline is bringing people and good food together. And it's the only... Uh, 
food festival that goes across the entire Bristol city centre. So there's um, chats on College Green with sort of eminent food professionals, everyone from sort of um, Ellie, who uh, has a cafe in Bristol, and she's recently got her 5-2 book out, to Xanthi Clay, to um, Tim Hayward. There are loads of really great people talking. There's also... um, there's a brilliant new initiative they started this year where they have a food card where lots of restaurants, cafes um, and bars are offering discounts for residents who oh, present the card throughout yeah. the weekend. Yeah, it's super, super cool. Um, and one of the things that they do each year is a street food market and it was in Millennium and Anchor Square this weekend. So I had a quick look around there okay. and spoke to some of the street food traders. Um, so here are some of the street food traders that I spoke to over the weekend. Uh, my name is Anita Chung and I'm the owner of Armas Dumplings and we sell um, handmade dim sum. Uh, today we have um, pork and ginger, chicken and coriander, beef, uh, oyster sauce and spinach and a veggie one that has shiitake mushrooms and cashews in as well. And then we have baos which are steamed buns. Uh, often uh, described to me as dense clouds, (laughs) buns of dense clouds. Um, And they have in them um, slow roast belly pork with hoisin sauce and uh, we've got a spicy coconut butternut squash one as well. Um, I'm based in Bristol. Um, I came here from London a couple of years ago and um, there there was so much choice um, to like street food wise in London there was lots of um, street uh, food little hubs like um, uh, where they'd take over a warehouse or like a car park or something and there'd be a market and um, that I don't know it just wasn't when I came over in Bristol it doesn't seem like there was very much of that in Bristol and especially since um there's so many people exodusing from London yeah. <laughs> and who are used who are used to that kind of stuff it's like there was there's a hunger for it in Bristol and so I think and also I think Bristolians are really like open to lot, trying lots of new stuff and so why do you love it as a trader like why do you like being a street food trader rather than having a permanent hub somewhere um, well um, it gives you freedom of time so you're not um uh, like anchored down to a premises, yeah. uh, which is really good. So it's you have like rushes of um, being really busy, and then you know, there's. <laughs> I say this. I say that there's times when you don't actually work, but I work all the time. So <laughs> I quite like the intensity. <laughs> I quite like um, having like really uh, intense period of work and then like relaxing rather than kind of steady. My name's Lucy and I come from the Big O Donut Co. We are full cream ahead and we make Polish donuts that are uh, filled with decadent fillings. We use organic double cream from Yo Valley um, and some beautiful fruits. We're based near uh, Fish Ponds and, uh, and Easton and we love getting the donuts to the people. We've been going about a year. So we've got a rhubarb and berry jam which is sharp and sweet. We've got house glazed rings. We've got lemon curd cream. We've got a rhubarb full which is sort of tangy and delicate. We've got double chocolate. We've got uh, lime and coconut cream. We've got a fantastic Madagascan vanilla. We've got uh, salted caramel, which is really popular with our customers. And we've also got a chocolate and coconut ring. Hi, my name's Amanda Heron. I'm from BioAqua Farm. We're from uh, Somerset. And uh, today we're 
serving um, uh, aquaponic food. So we have an aquaponic farm in Somerset, which is the marriage of uh, aquaculture and horticulture together. So it's a closed loop system, symbiotic farming. So we feed our fish organically. Then we, uh, the, the water from the fish goes around and feeds the plants. The plants take up all the nutrients and clean the water then for the fish. So the clean water goes back to the fish. So it's an, our system is an organic system, naturally. So we've had the farm going for about five years now. Today we're serving um, fish fillet paninis which uh, has got an Italian twist. So it's our fresh fillets that are caught yesterday uh, with our fresh farm salad. And then we've got uh, the Italian battered trout with a uh, turmeric butter on a bed of salad and uh, with taters. And we also have our smoky fish cake. So we smoke the fish as well, which is really cool. So we're we're the first uh, aquaponic farm in the UK to be set up. So we, uh, tomorrow we're actually in uh, Froome at the independent market. So we do that every month. We do a lot of food events, markets, uh, food assemblies, and sell online. Uh, it's Lee Dunsford and business is Shikuji Limited. And we're, uh, we make heritage British charcuterie as well as modern sort of European and North American side products. Okay. And I can see that you won the BBC Food and Farming Awards Best Food Producer this weekend too. Yes, yeah, very exciting. It's something it's a major thing for us. I mean, it's major. The, the awards mean so much to the food industry in the UK. So, yes, to win the Best Producer is, is huge. Why do you think you, you won? What makes your product so special? I think it's a combination of... Um, the systems that we have so so we produce some of the livestock ourselves but we also buy from from other farmers and we we work on a system where we use waste food products so uh whey from cheese production waste milk um waste vegetables brewers grain and so on uh, in the, as part of the feed um but also we look at a cost production scheme so we look to see what it costs for the farmer to produce and to give them a premium on top of that so it ensures that small-scale farms exist and, and rural communities can can thrive so we've got a couple of very traditional British products. We have black pudding and poloni. So poloni is something that lots of people have been asking me today. What is it? Yeah. Uh, so it's derived from the Italian mortadella, but it came here in the 15th century. And the recipe that we're using is from the 17th century. So that's a lot of what we're about in terms of our heritage British products is that people often say that British charcuterie doesn't exist, but there's a wealth of, of recipes. It's just a case of going out there and trying to revive some of those traditions. But um, but also we, we do um, quite modern things. I mean, we, we've, we tend to travel to the countries in which the products are made to learn how they're, they're made and bring that back and then use the best of local ingredients. So we've got some North American products here, some Texan hot links and some all beef franks. Uh, and I trained at the meat lab at Iowa State University a few years back, wow. did a summer school uh, to learn how to make them. And then, you know, we, we now make them on, on, on machines here in, in the UK. And again, we've got snack salamis. So uh, whether it's France or, or Italy or Spain, we've traveled to those countries to understand the process in which to make, make these products yeah. and, and then try to make them with the best quality ingredients possible here. Amazing, amazing. So I'm going to have a quick taste of some yeah, of the ones you've got right. here. So what have you got on offer here? So uh, sampling at the moment, I've got uh, rose veal. So uh, rose veal sauce on sec. So it's a very traditional French style uh, salami. Very, very simple. Just black pepper, a little bit of nutmeg, tiny bit of garlic. Uh, a fennel salami. So Italian fennel salami. Um, real bursts of flavour from fennel and anise. And a Spanish style chorizo. Okay, I'm going to go for the rose veal. That sounds delicious. Really, really good flavour. So how long is that one hung for? 
So this as a stack salami doesn't take all that long. So it's three to four weeks. Okay, but some wow. of our bigger salami it takes up to six months to dry. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Fantastic. But it's it's it's. I mean, the rose veal is great for anyone who who drinks milk. It's something that we need to support yeah, because yeah. it comes from the the bull calves from the dairy industry that would be otherwise be be discarded. So, um, so it's not something we should be afraid of. I think people no, got this weird perception of the veal from a long time ago, and it's not like that now. Is it? Not not at all. So this is kept for a lot longer than the traditional milk veal that we think of. If we think back in the eighties, a crated veal completely different so so we know it's something that we really need to support in the UK to support farmers to, to raise their, 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 their male calves uh, and, and have them as part of the, the, the meat industry so with us specifically again following that 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 um, the, the use of, of waste products uh, we, we have this from a from a cheese producer so they use whey from the, from the cheese as, as a feed source for, and it gives a real buttery creamy yeah. flavor to the meat Alex, you are a massive fan of street food, aren't you? And you yes. actually write our street food spot in the magazine each issue. I do, yes. Yeah, it's a great um, opportunity to try lots of different street food from places also that I would never be able to go to. Yeah, uh, That's one of my favourite things about street mm. food. You can just, you can go to a random like corner in London and get Indian food. But yeah. it's not just Indian food, it's Carolyn food or... Um, Chinese food that's like Sichuan and it's just it's brilliant and you meet so many great people as well yeah I think that's one of the things that I learned is these people are so passionate about what they do and and a lot of these street food vans that you might try there's lots of different markets across the country but they'll really hone in on one dish whether it be like Canadian poutine and they'll Mm -hmm. they'll really they'll they'll nail you know they'll do the best chips the best cheese the best gravy and it's it's so good but it's this one dish so passionate about it yeah they know everything there is to know about it yeah and you know we're all massive food geeks olive so to kind yeah. of be able to indulge yeah. in that and that's the thing you're meeting the people like when you go to a restaurant it's great and you'll have a lovely experience but when you meet a street food trader and you're having that food they're cooking it there right in front of you you yeah, get to talk to them so about fresh. it um yeah so it's, it's a really interesting experience and it's it's very affordable too mm. um so you can have something for, you know it could be a couple of quid for a donut or it could be you know eight pounds for a loaded burger or something so you can eat so well for under a tenner. Yeah. yeah. It, it's really great. Yeah, it's such a great option. You can have like a three-course meal for under a tenner, especially yeah. if there's two of you. If you go around one of these street food markets, yeah. I usually split three or four things and you've yeah. yeah you've spent like 20 quid between you it's brilliant yeah and it's not just food festivals that they're at now either all these no. sort of special markets because I know they definitely do one in Bristol um throughout the city you know they've got one at the tobacco factory um and I know they have them in London yeah, and in street Leeds and, and House yeah and if, I mean if you just google street food yeah. and wherever you live you'll be able to find a market near you but it's also at music festivals now as yeah. well you know um I'm going to wilderness later this year in the Cotswolds and food is such a an important part of yeah. that as well it's not just listening to your favorite bands it's making sure that you're loaded up with the best food and the best drink at the, yeah. at the same time i think wilderness particularly has become a destination for yeah. food because um you can get everything from all over the country and they yeah. all descend upon one exactly. place they're all you know congregating in one like you say in one place to celebrate yeah if you don't <laughs> live in london then you might not ever eat it exactly know, one of the london street food places unless you go to these kind of massive festivals. Yeah, they do great pop-ups as well. So um, the, I think the sister festival of Wilderness is called Somersault in Devon and they have oh, these amazing yeah. pop-ups with um, uh, in teepees of, of restaurants that are sort of travelling out and uh, around the country and doing great things. So you really get a chance to experience something from everywhere, which is, yeah. is, is yeah. a really wonderful experience. 
Another great thing about street food for the tra- from the trader side is that they can start this business up relatively cheaply. Mm-hmm. They don't have any permanent um, sites. They don't have that heavy rent. They can move around. They can try different spots. But um, a lot of street food traders have done so well, they now are opening up permanent yeah. residences, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. There's um, two of my favourite street food stores have um, recently opened up. Um, for example, Bao, they originally were just um, knocking out loads of Taiwanese. I don't know if anybody's had them, but they're steamed milk buns. They are uh, yeah. incredible. If if any of you are in London, you need to track down Bao. Yeah. They are just the They've best. Taken London by storm. Yeah. But they originally were just in a little hut in Nettle Market um, in Hackney and now they're just launching their second restaurant Mm, and there's queues if you've been there's queues every single night around the corner I went to the one in Soho and the queue is just ridiculous but it's so worth it once you got in there but they've they literally they were just they had three three dishes yeah. in their little store, and now you know they've got full menu. Yeah, well, that's the thing um, is they perfect, like we were saying before, they perfect this one dish or two dishes, yeah, exactly. and they're so good. And then they build up this fan base, and it, that's why it's so cool to support these people who are making them on the doorstep because they spent all this time and invested. So yeah, much. And you know, it so might be passionate. chicken wings or it might be bao buns, but but you know they really care about what they're producing. Yeah. And um, Le Bun, which is another kind of success story, they you know start and then they go to all the festivals and. The two guys that started it have recently got back from like a 90-day road trip. They went all through France and then all the way across the US. They think they ate in about 200 different restaurants (laughs) in the States alone. As you do. And they've now come and opened this pop-up in Leicester House that's open until the end of May, I think. And I went the other day for brunch. It was just incredible. Yeah. They do this amazing confit duck bun with oh yeah. my god it's, it's amazing did I see as well you had a Bloody Mary with a burger on top as yeah. well with a little oh, yeah. slider <laughs> why not you know, why not put a burger in your drink when in Rome, <laughs> when in Rome. okay fantastic are there any other ones that we should be looking out for Alex because um, Alex has this little just to um to remind you all, if you read the magazine regularly, we have a page called Table Hopping where we do all of our restaurant reviews and sort of highlight any up-and-coming restaurants. But Alex also does a street food spot, so she's travelling around the country trying out all of these dishes for you. Lucky her. Yes. Um, so, so where are your favourites at the moment? Um, I loved uh, Sambal Shiok. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> um, I met the the lady, Mandy, who owns it. She's just brilliant, like another really passionate foodie, and she's um, she does beef rendang and mm. chicken satay burgers okay. which were oh, they're amazing she's actually got residency at the moment it's open until the end of June it's called uh, it's at Sun and 13 Cantons pub in London okay. and another one that I really liked and they're going to be at Bestival okay. is Laffa and okay. they have Middle Eastern flatbreads filled with lots of Mediterranean flavours such as like lemon zatar, lemon and zatar chicken mm-hmm. and lamb kofta and spicy mergoy mer- sausage. Amazing. So yeah, brilliant. Um, and then also in, in Yorkshire, there's because mm-hmm. um, I'm from Yorkshire, so I like <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a place called Bang Wok and he um, he has a little um, Tuk Tuk, and okay. he um, serves Thai food out there, which is very good as well. So, yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much, guys. I know what I'm going to be doing on my weekends for the rest of the summer, yeah. making the most <laughs> of all these delicious street food vans. Um, so for more information on any of these street food traders, you can head to olivemagazine.com and make sure you look out for Alex's street food spot every issue. Okay, thanks for listening to the second episode of the Olive Magazine podcast. Remember, you can subscribe now on iTunes or Acast or your favourite podcast app. 
And don't forget to let us know what you think. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, you name it, we're there. Let us know what you think and we can talk about it next time. Okay, thank you very much. Have a great week and happy eating.